Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you very much for joining me today. I hope you have a great day. Uh, you had a great day and uh, it was lovely where you are. Uh, today we're going to do something on education. I've just wanted to do, I've been wanting to do a series on education in India for a very long time because I was doing some research and I came about uh, the scholars in Punjab and intellectuals in Punjab during the Sikh Empire. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read for you a, um, an article on the intellectual education in Punjab during the Sikh Empire. Um, and I'm going to go into what education was in ancient India. Okay, um, And then we'll go on the series tomorrow. But to get a gist of, you know, we say Indian history, Indian knowledge, Indian intellectuals, what was education like in ancient India? So let's just start with, with, um, with the Sikh Empire, okay? So in the Sikh Empire, Punjab had more scholars and intellectuals uh, during the Sikh Empire than compared to the British Raj. So the notion that was that with the fall of the Sikhs in 1849, the British East India Company ushered in a modern age in Punjab, uh, especially in Lahore, is one that we need to revisit. What went wrong and remained wrong subsequently is a subject that we will all need to reconsider. A British historian, G.W. Leitner, in his work published in 1881, the number of students attaining education dropped nearly 50% from Maharaja's Ranjit Singh uh, Sikh empire to British colonization. Punjab had more scholars and intellectuals than anywhere, but after the British took over, all changed. When the Lahore Khalsa Darbar collapsed, uh, the EIC, that's the East India Company, thanks mainly to Lawrence, the Lawrence brothers, set about trying to win over the Punjabis, especially the Sikhs. There was a long cognate uh, reason for this. This EIC, after a survey, discovered that education in Lahore and Punjab was far superior to the education the British had introduced all over the conquer all over conquered India. In Lahore alone, there were 18 formal schools for girls, besides specialist schools for technical training, languages, mathematics, and logic. Let alone specialized schools uh, uh, for these for the three major religions, they being Hinduism, Islam, and Sikhism. There were craft schools specializing in a miniature painting, sketching, drafting, architecture, and calligraphy. Punjab was ahead of Europe in education. Every village in, in Punjab through the Tehsil had an ample supply of Punjabi Kaida, which was compulsory for females. The, company in, uh, the East India Company concluded that the Punjabis were years ahead in, field, in the field of education and so-called enlightened Europeans. Thus, almost every Punjabi woman was literate in the sense that she could read and write the Lundi form of Gurumukhi. To overcome this and yet keep Punjabis in line, a deliberate campaign to burn all Punjabi Kaida was planned. The events of 1847 provided them with the opportunity when, though it was because of the loyalty and sacrifices of the Punjabis that the British regained um, India. That means in spite of the Punjabis helping the British, because the Punjab was the allies of the British, they still wanted to um, 
bring the Punjabis in line under their control, that means control the academia. Um, but how did the British rulers now formally under the crown after the East India Company was dislodged um, after becoming bankrupt because of expense incurred in 1857 gauge, gauge the situation? Uh, here we have an amazing book from the legendary G. Weitner, the founder of Government College in uh, Lahore. And the Punjab University, undoubtedly one of the world's greatest linguists who studied indigenous uh, education in Punjab in amazing detail in 1882. Uh, his conclusions make much better sense today, for they were ignored by the British during the years of their rule, not that, they, not, not that today we care what the great man said then, yet it seems sensible to bring the matter to our readers' attention. In the, in the introduction of his original 1882 publication, he starts off by saying, in spite of the best intentions, the most public-spirited officers and a generous government that had benefit of the traditions of other provinces, the true education of Punjab was crippled, checked and nearly destroyed. Our system stands convict convicted of worse than official failure. The Punjab has this tradition whereby the social, the most unscrupulous chief, the avacious, the avaricious moneylender, and even the freebooker ride with the small landowner in making peace with his conscience by founding schools, uh, rewarding the learned. Uh, there was, there is not a mosque, a temple, a dharamshala that has not a, a school attached to it. British bond books in Punjab. The British set up a network to destroy it, in the carnage of revenge that followed 1857, the British made it a special effort to research every house of a village and burn every book. Even the secular schools of Lahore, which was Persian or Lundi as a common medium of instruction, sorry, as the medium of instruction, uh, books formed the major bonfire that the British troops cleansed the area. Lettner claims that it, before 1857, the Punjab had an estimated um, computation, as he called it, 330,000 pupils learning all the sciences in Arabic and Sanskrit in schools and colleges, as well as Oriental literature, Oriental law, logic, uh, philosophies and medicine were taught in the highest standard. Leitner claimed that after the events of 1857 in Punjab, by 18 there had been a computed estimation of just 190,000 pupils. He says an entire tradition far, far superior to what the Europe had to offer was completely destroyed. Um, sorry about that. To explain the claim, Letna quotes the Punjab administration reports of for 1849-1851, paragraph 337, the Muslim schools are nearly all connected with the village mosque, uh, where the land is rent-free, the endowments are secular, and the religious to support the temples. Uh, mosque schools, religions, more than monoistic character. An extract of report number 335, uh, 6 July 1857, reaches the conclusion that elementary and sometimes high oriental classic and vernacular education was more widespread in the Punjab before the annexation that it is now. 
The report concludes that the events of 1857 uh, destroyed the huge endowments that kept the magnificent education system intact. Maharaja Ranjit Singh spent more on education than British in India. He said, here's an amazing table brings the assertions of Dr. Leitner to the fore in his claim that Punjab, the, especially Lahore, was better off educationally in days of Maharaja Ranjit Singh than in the British uh, before 1882. When his research was published, it shows the total re revenue collected by Ranjit Singh in his last years, say 1838 to 1839, was equal equaling 1.85 million pounds. The British managed to collect 1.45 million pounds. Then came the stunner. The Sikh ruler, as a percentage, spent more on education than the company from the revenues collected. Most of the scholars of the world, in the Lahore district reports of 1860, it, it had 576 formal schools where 422 scholars taught. This being the case, if Lahore had so many scholars, uh, teachers in the year 2010, it would get, it would again become the first world educational city and district. Doc, um, Doc Leitner provides still more statistics. He says 41% learn the Quran, 37 learn Persian and Urdu, 8% learn Nagri, 6.7% Gurumukhi, and 7% learn Hindi or debased Nagri. The teachers are all paid in grain by local landlords who are who have sent in daily rations. Uh, small mention has been made of extra amounts of grain sent to, to Sialkot. This probably explains the qualitative edge that the Sialkot education has always maintained. Its manifestations in Iqbal and Faiz can be easily seen. The Sikh empire had an impressive teach to the to students ratio. It would be of interest for us today uh, to understand the schools of Lahore and in those days, schools opened from 7 a.m. and closed at midday. In no case was a class allowed to exceed 50 pupils. If any report uh, of this number came forward, the subedar would send soldiers to arrest the teacher. Um, if any report of this number came forward, the subedar would send soldiers to arrest, arrest the teacher for trying to destroy the future of our children. Imagine, can we imagine such a care and love today? Inside the walled city, uh, all schools had been described in great detail. For example, the Kashmir Bazaar Mosque school had a teacher by the name of Allah Jivaya who taught the Quran and all subjects in Arabic. Uh, the Kutcha Chabakaswaran school had a teacher by the name of Muhammad Abdul Aziz who taught Persian and Arabic. In the nearby mosque of Faisullah, the teacher was Muhammad uh, the eunuch, who excelled in Persian and Arabic, and taught students how to learn the Quran by heart. In, adv in advanced Arabic school in Anakali Mosque, taught Malvi Nur Ahmad, who taught grammar, logic, and Muslim law and mathematics. In Suttar Mandi school, taught Pandit Gauri Shankar, who taught the mathematics, Persian, and Quran, and per and Quran literature. It was clear that Lahore in the dying days of the Lahore Khalsa Darbar was the years before 1857 had a first-rate educational system that was far superior to what the British had to offer. What amazes one the most is the fact that the women were more educated than men and this Dr. Leitner observes is what made sure that every passing year the literacy rate increased. 
once this stopped, it progressively de um, declined. Uh, what we are today is for all of us to think about. Many, my way of measuring literacy gives the bias that a journalist would have if the number of newspapers sold today. In Pakistan, the number barely crosses 1 million uh, for a population of 180 million. This means a functional literacy rate of 0.55%. Um, need one say more, the destruction continues. A few years ago, this column, we requested the Punjab government to rename uh, Kuchri Road uh, from the district court crossing Nila Gumad Anadkali crossing as Leitner Road. A bright bureaucrat observed on the, re on the request. No one knows the strange man. Shabazz Sharif, uh, the then um, Punjab governor, um, chief minister, um, agreed and dropped the request. I'm not surprised. Luckily, he is not part of the 0.55% figure, though he attended institution, uh, he attended the institution Leitner had founded. Uh, so Leitner founded this, uh, an institution of university uh, attended by Sh Shabazz Sharif. However, uh, Shabazz Sharif himself did not know who he was. Um, and today he is the Prime Minister of Pakistan. So this uh, comes from the Dawn newspaper. Uh, and I'm, I've posted it on my Facebook page. Um, uh, so it's called barusahib.org, um, the Kalgidar Society, and basically they're talking about education in um, in the Sikh Empire. So that's very important to know. I don't think anyone knows about this. I didn't know about it. I have never heard it uh, before. And um, for all you guys out there, I, I hope you will take a look at it on my Facebook page, read read it, um, research it, and research education in the Punjab because it is so uh, important to know what happened. Um, this is of course, um, this is of course from the Dawn newspaper, which is, um, yeah, the Dawn newspaper is a Punjab. A Pakistani, uh, it's a Pakistani paper, but they're very, very interesting. They come out with great articles sometimes, and it's important to to look both sides of the divide, and not just play politics, and try and understand where we went wrong, what are the problems we have, how can we, how we can fix it. Um, it is very, very important. So this is a great article, and we are not going to get back to that place anytime soon. But we have to work ourselves. That means. Um, we, the people, have to teach our children on our individual and a private basis about education um, and absolute education, um, what happened before, the history, the heritage, and on our own terms until we can one day join the dots and absolutely uh, rework the society and rework the education system. It's going to be a long haul. It's not going to be a short haul. But uh, it is important that we, we understand this. So I'm going to read to you today some more education. Um, I hope that you will buy this book because I got this on Amazon.ca. It's a beautiful book, The Educational Heritage of Ancient India by Sahana Singh. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it is important to go back to this time, to the past, and understand this because uh, this is our heritage, this is our history, and that's, this is where we want to go back. So we have to do uh, uh, an atwa, and all that lies in between Hindutva, Hind coming from the word Sin, the body of water, the water that surrounds the land that is Bharat Varsh. Uh, that means the currents that form our waves, that is Hindustan. So, Atwa, we're going to do it. Atwa today, uh, make this junction in, into an intellectual laboratory. I hope that you would spread the message with your friends, social network, uh, everywhere, um, with your schools, your colleges, have this conversation. What was education like in ancient India? How can we, we restart it on our own terms, not wait for, for the government to do something, our currents have to form the way, so we contribute by educating our children uh, on our own basis about this uh, education in the in ancient India, and slowly by slowly do research on yourself, and um, absolutely it will. Uh, we will every drop, um, every drop in the ocean will one day form that ocean. We will rebuild our. Um, we will rebuild our subcontinent. So the holistic learning in the nature of, so educational heritage of ancient India, how an ecosystem of learning was laid to waste. So I'm just going to read a little bit from this uh, book um, and we will continue tomorrow. So it's important just to understand the basics, okay? So when Tagore started an open-air school at Chanti Nikitan in 1901, which later went on to become a famous university, he was one in the long lines of educators from India who believed that holistic learning could be obtained in the midst of nature under close supervision of parent-like gurus. India's earliest teachers were the gurus who taught in gurukuls and ashrams located far from the hustle and bustle of towns in what we call forest universities. It is no surprise that the Vedas, which are the earliest known oral books containing the thoughts of civilized society, uh, are replete with exquisite references to nature and concept of interdependence of living organisms. To these gurus, it was important for humans to realize that the humble status of the infinite universe before embarking on this long journey of learning. Not all gurukuls were in forest, though. Uh, some were in villages, towns, uh, and since the gurus were un usually householders with f uh, families, however secluded locations were preferred. Uh, over time, the systems of transmission of learning to newer generations got institutionalized and gave birth to the famous universities such as Takshila, Nalanda, and the famous temple universities, of which the remains are still found in southern India. A sizable number of foreign students came to study in India from China, Korea, Japan, Indonesia, and West Asia. While the most famous names are Fan Fahian, Zhu Zhang, who left behind detailed accounts. Uh, there were scores of others who made difficult journeys by foot and on board ships to imbibe knowledge from Indian professors. Most, many of foreign students copied the texts and commentaries to carry, to, the, to carry back to their countries. The rush for gaining an education from the Brahmins and Buddhist scholars of India was similar to today's rush to study in, in certified American and European universities. There is a curious hesitation among modern historians to refer to Indian multidisciplinary centers of traditional learning as universities. 
This comes from the excessive importance given to the written word, to, sol to solid buildings which establish pedagogy and rigid systems of certifications. Thus the talented but bare-chested and doti-clad engineers and architects of ancient India who were incredible irrigation canals, raining rainwater, harvesting structures, places, forts, roads, dams, and aqueducts were barely acknowledged as professionals. Similarly, the medical practitioners of the Yo who knew uh, which combination of herbs could would help in healing diseases, where to procure them in forest, how to conduct uh, complex surgeries, and additionally, and additionally possessed spiritual uh, insights, uh, often regarded as quacks or witch doctors today, but they were very important in the ancient world. So learning was sacred and an important duty. Um, Vidya Ramba or Akasha Rabasya is an important Hindu ceremony marking the institution of young boys and girls into writing of alphabets. So ancient Indians were deeply invested in gaining perspectives about material and moral um, and physical and spiritual, the perishable and the permanent. During the process of gaining these perspectives, they made important discoveries in sciences, maths, and applied medicine. The sacredness of learning is evident in large numbers of Sanskrit shoklas that defy the gurus such as Acharya, uh, Devo, Bhava. Initiation of children into the alphabets for the first time was done by done ceremonially in most parts of India. Even today, the ceremony survives in Hate Kori in Bengal and Vidya Ramba in southern India, where children um, uh, in Bengal perform uh, the Saraswati Puja and in southern India, children are asked to trace alphabets on rice. Today, we probably do it on tablets and iPods and iPads, but it was done. The sacred thread ceremony or the Upnayam ceremony performed after Diwali. Children between the ages of 8 and 12 customarily, customarily mark the beginning of education. Traditionally, it was considered unethical to barter knowledge for money. Okay, that means exchange money, money asking for money for, for knowledge. Gurus usually took a woven gift. Uh, Guru Dakshina, in return for long years of knowledge they imparted. The Chinese student Zhang Zhang has left a touching account of the love of learning in India. It was not forced, but became naturally came naturally from the seeds of uh, curious, curiosity planted in childhood. He found aesthetics who devoted their entire lives to learning and teaching simply for the love of knowledge to be in the sciences of philosophy to the exclusion of every comfort. Such men who were due to, to high moral standards were held in high esteem by the state, but they did not care for any honor bestowed on them. The practice of bhiksha, requesting for food from households, which is incorrectly called begging in modern times, was common among the aesthetics and regarded as perfectly respectable activity. Zhu Zhang mentions that dedicated scholars preferred poverty to affluence and did not heed the ties of domestic love. They knew no fatigue and travel across the country to lecture and share their knowledge. 
Thus, there was a system that ensured that a steady supply of qualified persons who gave themselves up to the life of learning uh, and service to the land while keeping their needs to a minimum. The forest universities of ancient India. The Mahabharat gives examples of famous ashrams such as Naimisha, which was a forest university headed by uh, Shalnaka. Other hermitages mentioned in uh, the epic are those of Vyasa, Vaishishta, Vishma Mitra. One hermitage near Kurukshetra even mentions two female rishis. Among Vaisya's famous disciples were Sumantra, Vaisampayana, Jamin, Paila, and Shuka. Rishi Kanwa's hermitage is not mentioned as a solitary unit, but as an assemblage of numerous hermitages around central one presided by Rishi Kanwa. There were specialists in every branch of learning cultivated in that age, in each of the four Vedas, in the Yagna, related literature and the arts, Kalpa, Sutra, uh, Chanda metrics, Sabda or Nirupa. Uh, they were also logicians, knowing the principles of nayaya and, and dialectics, specialists in physical sciences, art also taught their skills. The art of constructing altars of various dimensions and shapes for conducting yagna was regarded as significant, and this required teaching solid geometry. Other topics that were taught, including properties of matter, uh, and physical processes. Zoology was also a subject. The physician Shustra, author of the Shustra Samhita, the, the most ancient treatise available on general medicine and surgery, laid out that in order to be a successful physician, one must be well versed in many sciences. His might, well, his might well be uh, the earliest call for an interdisciplinary approach to a subject. A physician who has learned one science cannot only be sure of his science and for this reason the physician has to be well to be worse in many sciences thus the forest universities laid out an entire spread of subjects that were imparted in a holistic view of the world as it was then known there were some there were no artificial demarcations between religions and science and often uh, one led to another so in ancient universe in ancient india universities were everywhere there were staggering number of universities spread across the length and breadth of india in the ancient world the old oldest excavated so far is takshila which is dated to the 6th century bce but could be much older uh, um, it is located in today's pakistan in the rawalpindi district of punjab one others were nalanda in bihar uh, Wallabai in Gujarat, Vikram Shila in Bihar, Pushpagiri in Odisha, uh, Jagdala in Bangladesh, Udantapuri in Bihar, Sompara in Bangladesh, Bikrampur, Bangladesh, Varanasi, Uttar Pradesh, Shraddha, Peet, uh, Kashmir, uh, Ratnagiri, Odisha, Mithila, Bihar, Ujjani, Madhya Pradesh, and Kanchipuram in Tamil Nadu. Though this is only a partial list, even today, archaeologists are coming across the remains of ancient universities close to the excavated ones. 
This, it is likely that the Gurukuls, forest universities, and the brick and mortar universities existed side by side. There's an instance of Sweta Ketu, who is a graduate in art from Takshila. He uh, set out to gather practical arts by wandering all over the country when he came across 500 rishis um, in the cluster of hermitages who taught him their arts, texts, and practices. Traditionally, it is believed that the Mahabharata, Mahabharata was first recited by Takshila, by Vaishampayana, student of Vyasa. Takshila is described as a center of learning uh, in the Buddhist Jataka tales, written around the 5th century. The Chinese traveler Fahien mentioned in his account of his visit to Takshila in 405, 405 CE, Wan Zhang, uh, another Chinese monk, uh, visited Takshila in 630 and 643 CE. The city was overrun by Huns in 455 CE, so it was in ruins by the time Zhuang Zhang visited. Takshila made great contributions to the world, culture, and Sanskrit. It is associated with Acharya Chanakya and also as Kautenya. His famous author Shashwa is said to have composed of Takshila itself. The renowned physician Charaka, to whom Ayurveda owes a huge debt, also studied there. He later became a professor at the same institute. Jivaka and another famous physician and surgeon studied here, according to the Pali text. The ancient grammarian Panini, who codified rules that would define classical Sanskrit, was also part of the Takshila alumni. Clearly, the institute produced formidable scholars. According to the Jatakas, the students went to Takshila for higher education, and they were trained in the Vedas. Apart from this, there were 18 sippas, or arts, that were taught. The sippas included scientific and technical education. Takshila had, had special schools teaching medicine, law, and military sciences. There was a demand for its archery courses. There was mentions of 104 princes studying there at the same time. Not everyone came from affluent families. This, it is said that Jivaka, a Takshila alumnus, cured Emperor Bim Bisara of Fistula and as a result was appointed physician to the king of to the Buddhist Sangha. He is also credited with further uh, uh, curing king, a king of Eugene of Jondis, Jivaka also noted to be a skilled surgeon. A case has been described where a merchant suffering from a head disease was treated by Jivaka. By the time, by time the patient to his bed, um, cutting through the skin of his head, drawing apart the flesh on each side of the incision, pulling two worms out of the wound, then closing up the sides of the wound, stitching up the skin on the head and anointing it with salve. His old or saliva. He said to be have been successfully cured a uh, case of twisted intestine. Um, so practical training was also important, a component of university learning. Great store was set up by practical training. Another in medicine. The practical course included a thorough knowledge of medicinal plants. Nature study was considered the best means of awakening uh, healthy curiosity. Students were required to give practical demonstration to what they learned in colleges. 
So Jivika, for example, was cited as having demonstrated his ability to conduct successful surgeries on patients. There's also a mention of a student who gave practical demonstration of the technical education he got in front of his parents. After he returned from Takshila, extensive foreign travel was required at the end of the theoretical, theoretical education in universities. This was specially insisted upon in the case of students from rich families brought up in luxury in order to make them experience hardships of traveling and to endure cold and heat. Um, I'm going to go quickly to the Nalanda University that we've all heard about. So Nalanda, Nalanda was a beacon of learning for students far and near. By far the most detailed description we have is of Nalanda University in the ancient king, kingdom of Magadha, thanks to the writings of in the 7th century CE of Chinese traveler Zhuang Zhang and Yi Ji, Jing. Students flock from near and far to learn from the acclaimed teachers of the university, and some call, came all the way from Tibet, China, Korea, Central Asia. As many as 100 lectures were held in a day, and according to Yi Jing, the students did not even want to miss a minute of these. It was not easy to gain admission into Nalanda University, just as in the earlier era, it was not easy to be accepted as pupils of renowned gurus. According to the accounts of Zhuang Zhang, Nalanda had a very tough entrance examination. Only 20% of the students who applied got through it. Foreign students had the hardest time passing the admission test unless they were deeply well-versed uh, in old and modern learning. And yet the university has had as 8,500 students and 1,500 teachers. The age of the students at the time of admission has to be estimated around 20. There were even a network of schools that helped students to prepare for getting into Nalanda, which is pretty sound, uncannily similar to the coaching centers and IIT, GEE, and other competitive examinations. My friends, as I like to say, it's the currents that form our waves. It's not the waves that form our currents. So if you understand the currents, it will repeat itself. Uh, uh, the, um, it will repeat itself, the labels will change, but the mentality will not. So we're still doing the same thing as in, in ancient time. We haven't lost one single bit. People try and say, oh, we've lost the Vedic era. Yes, it's not exactly the same, but we haven't lost the cycle because the cycle is the same, the labels have changed. You just have to go back in time and understand what happens in these cycles, the Atwa, all that lies in between. So you have it here as proof showing you that there was a network of schools that helped students prepare for Nalanda. Isn't that funny? The students of Nalanda were looked up as models all over India and highly respected. According to Zhu Zhang, uh, Zhuan Zhang, one had merely to mention one's Nalanda's antecedents in order to be bestowed with admiration. Taking advantage of this, some people even faked their Nalanda uh, degrees. We still do it today, my friend. By the 7th century, there were four other universities in Bihar, all largely inspired by Nalanda. They worked in collaboration, and by the 10th century, one was Vikram Shila emerged as a serious competitor to Nalanda in higher education. A wide range of subjects were taught in Nalanda, scared and secular, uh, sacred and secular. Oops, today I lost my page. Sorry about that. Um, 
sacred and secular, philo philosophical and practical, science and art. Uh, it was the most competitive, complete education available at that time, says Zhuang Zhang, who studied there for five years. He studied Yoga Shastra under the highest authority of the time. Silabhadra, um, he also studied Nayaya, Hetuvida, Shabdavida, and the Sanskrit grammar of Panin. There is an interesting side story of this. Zhuang Zhang has written that he visited Kanchi. He met a number of monks from Ceylon. Well, he told them about his impending visit to Ceylon. He said it was futile because he would not meet any superior to them in knowledge. Intrigued, Zhuang Zhang began to discuss the yoga text with them. To his disappointment, he found that the explanations not as good as the one he got from his professor in Nalanda University. Nalanda mainly flourished, flourished under the patronage of the Gupta Empire, as well as the emperors such as Harsha and later rulers of the Pala Empire. Various endowments were made by kings, which led to the construction of Im impressive buildings, majestic um, in size, which richly adorned towers and, tar and turrets that gave the look of hilltops, and observatories that were covered by the mist in morning. According to Zhuang Zhang, there was a lofty wall um, all around the grounds and a big gate which opened into the university with, with a big main hall from which separated eight other halls. He describes the upper rooms towered above the clouds and from their windows one could see the wind in clouds producing new forms and, the, and from the soaring eaves um, overhang from the roof splendid sunsets and moonlit glories should be seen, he wrote in his memoirs. All the outside courts in, in which are the priests' chambers are of four stages. The stages have dragon projections and coloured eaves, pearl-red pillars carved and ornamented, richly adorned balustrades, where the roofs are covered with the tiles and reflect the lights in a thousand shades. A similar description is given in the Nalanda stone inscription of Yaso Varman of the 8th century stating the rows of monasteries had their series of summits. The grounds had deep, translucent ponds bearing blue lotuses in intersped with the deep red kanaka flower, which, while our Amra groves, spread their shade all around. The massive external grandeur of the building is said to have contrasted with delicate artistic beauty of the interior. So that, my friend, was just a little bit of the educational history of India. I will continue reading tomorrow. But this is a very, very important book. Um, I wish um, um, I wish you could um, yeah, buy it um, if you can. I'm going to post it on my website. And I hope that um, you will take a look at it. It's, it's not very expensive, really. Um, you'll get it on Amazon and you can get it anywhere, you, you know, whichever Amazon you'd want. But it's good to have this, research this as much as possible and um, share it with your children, your neighbors, um, your friends. Have that, uh, have that education, have that knowledge and, and whatever you can, can uh, gain 
whatever you can comprehend understand and spread it to generations around you and slowly by slowly we will rise up because it's our currents that form the waves my friend it is important that you understand that it is not the waves that form the currents and it is important to note as it said in the gita it is your investment in the uh, it is your investment that in your actions that are important not the fruit of the action so as long as you're investing in your actions you are enjoying yourself you liking it you understand what's going on you gain the knowledge you have the discussion your waves your dividends will come automatically the fruit of the action will come automatically and that is very important that's why we're having these podcasts so i will join you again tomorrow with the continuation of education and i thank you very much for your time i hope you have a great day and peace my friends